we finally actually have a chance to talk just kind of normally. It's been kind of a hectic day. We played uh, Kobe Altman's press conference earlier in the 3 o'clock hour. We're going to have some of that later in the show in the 5 at 5. Uh, Danny Cunningham and I will talk some more Cavs coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. He's going to be joining us in, in roughly an hour. So with all this kind of going on, we've got uh, the, the Cavs at the deadline. They didn't do a damn thing. We've got the NBA trade deadline in, in general. Uh, step back, the the Lakers did nothing either. That's actually something we probably should get into later in the show. We've got the uh, news about the Brook Parkland for the Cleveland Browns. What does that mean? Will the Browns truly move outside this the the, the downtown municipality of Cleveland? Uh, would they really do that? I think we're all starting to believe they really would. I actually felt like it's fate accompli for a hot minute. Um, I mean, that's not even just political. It just kind of makes sense. That piece of land is just kind of perfect for what teams are looking for to build that stadium. So we got that going on. We got NFL honors tonight. And I have, I, I don't, I, I think it's because of the way the Browns lost. I'm pretty ambivalent to what's going to happen. Like if Miles wins defensive player of the year, I'll be very happy for him. And I'll be happy because that is a, that is a feather in your cap when we start talking about um, going to the hall of fame. And that's I want that for Miles because that is that is as is uh, not just because for the Browns to be your second Hall of Famer um, uh, from the '99 on era, because I want it for Miles. I think he deserves all those accolades for what a damn good football player he is. But like Stefanski, as head coach of the year, if he gets his second one, uh, it's probably going to drive up the price a little bit with that contract extension. Jim Schwartz as uh, the assistant of the year. Joe Flacco, though he said he doesn't want it as the comeback player of the year, um, I'm 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 vaguely interested, but I'm not all that tied to it. Mostly because it's been about uh, a month since the Houston loss, and I'm still not over it. But with Super Bowl Fifty Eight coming up this weekend, I mean, this is probably the coolest thing to me. I know the legacy stuff gets te- the tedious stuff because we 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 skip levels. Like we either we it's a yes or no thing. Like is Pat Mahomes the goat if he wins on Sunday? And the reality is, you have different levels. It's like it's like the quarterbacks tears thing versus are you a top five quarterback? Right? Like there's more nuance required. But specifically from the Kansas City thing, well, okay, actually specifically from the San Francisco thing, I think Kyle Shanahan getting his first ring would be huge. I think speaking of Hall of Fame candidacy, Christian McCaffrey being the best player offensively on a championship team that uh, that that wins the the Super Bowl plus the Shanahan connection, I think it could mean huge things for his eventual Hall of Fame case. Um, there are other guys like Trent Williams winning it. I I think the world of Trent Williams is somebody who loves O line play. Everybody else, I'm kind of ambivalent. San Francisco, you've your, your fans had your run. I'm not. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Okay, if you lose, you lose. I don't really care. Kansas City, though, I think it's fascinating. Like, I think everybody's thinking about the legacy game with Pat Mahomes. And, yeah, he's going to gain a lot by getting that third championship should that happen on Sunday. But does anybody in this game have more to to benefit from legacy-wise than Andy Reid? You know, I I mean, we talked about Andy Reid uh, was last week, I think, and we got into the conversation, and I said I, I would already take him over Belichick because Andy has had a tougher road to hoe. He's had to win across 25 years with two different franchises. He's he's gone to the playoffs with, I, I think right now we're at five or six different quarterbacks. 
And it wasn't just, well, he had Donovan McNabb and he had Pat Mahomes. He he won a butt ton with Alex Smith. He won with Kevin Cobb. He won with Michael Vick. I can't remember if the Nick Foles thing was him or whether that was the first year of Chip Kelly, but like all Andy Reid has done is win at an incredibly high level. And to the people who are like, well, but he never won anything without Mahomes. Yeah, and, and Bill Belichick never won anything without Tom Brady. The difference is Andy Reid was in the playoffs a lot before Pat Mahomes. Bill Belichick went to the playoffs twice in the nine or ten years without Tom Brady. So I think a third ring for Andy Reid, and, and this is just the start of the conversation, I think it catapults him into that that ring for other people. I, I would take him over Belichick. But I think it, it it puts him in the conversation with Joe Gibbs, elite, great, all-time great. I think it puts him in there with all other coaches that have three rings, and I think you could make a case that because he's done that and taken two separate teams to the Super Bowl, that you could make a case of him being a top-five coach of all time. When I say you, I'm talking about people who aren't me. I'd already put him there. But I, I, think, I think this would mean huge things for the legacy of Andy Reid. Mahomes... I guess my I guess the the reason why I'm not thinking that way with Mahomes is I think because Brady won seven and they he won in two different times or sorry two different uh, teams I I think that is a huge ask I, now I do think he catapults to that next tier under um under Tom Brady and I think that's where that conversation begins two one six four seven four double oh nine two whose legacy benefits most from a Super Bowl win on Sunday, Andy Reid or Pat Mahomes. And I want to just point out, like, it's not, is Pat Mahomes the GOAT? Because I think with a win, I actually think he leaps over uh, Joe Montana. And that's a that's a big thing for me. Like, when I was a little kid, um, I, I was the biggest Browns fan on the planet, but my older brother was just a huge, I remember him talking about Joe Montana a lot. And so like if my older brother, eight years older than me, if he thought Joe Montana was the best quarterback in the NFL, then by God, uh, six-year-old Nick Wilson, Joe Montana was the best quarterback in the NFL. And so I, I, I think Joe has been forgotten unfairly a little bit here. And I think if you look at the rise of the NFL, there was, it, it is, it is really tough to calculate how, how huge Joe Montana was on in this I almost said on this planet um in this country in the 80s and early 90s but I think Joe's going to have him I think I think Joe went to either 10 or 11 conference championships but but Joe stopped at the three titles so you're already going to have matched on titles at 28 and I just see no reason that Pat Mahomes isn't going to continue doing what he's doing like with Brady, and maybe maybe this is the Brady of it, right? Where like maybe I'm just thinking like, well, hey, Brady had a first act and a second act and a third act, and I mean Pat won his first trio of championships as early as possible. I think the other thing is I think next year a championship for the Chiefs would be bigger for Mahomes, anyways, because next year you'd be the first guy to win three championships in a row. And I honestly don't think anyone's done it. Not just now off the top of my head, I was trying to think. I think some teams have come close to winning it three times in a row. But, like, each story, each team is a different narrative. 
Like last year was a rebuilding team for Kansas City, and they won the championship. This year, it's easily the worst weapons Pat Mahomes has worked with. And next year, being the first to win three in a row, I, I th- and then getting to four, I think in, in everybody's eyes, all of a sudden Pat Mahomes becomes the true heir apparent to the GOAT. That doesn't mean he's the GOAT, but all of a sudden you're looking for things of, well, how can you build a, a legacy that is different than what Tom Brady does and different than what uh, that Joe Montana does and different for what Terry Bradshaw did and different for what any other potential um, GOAT player, <laughs> sounds so stupid, a greatest player of all time would have. So it's a big one, by the way. Getting your third championship, it sounds like I'm I'm overlooking it. Nah, I, I think when it comes to legacy points this year specifically, I think Andy Reid has the most of anybody in this game to to kind of gain, especially if he walks off. But I would imagine you win this year. I would imagine Andy wants to be the first head coach to win him three in a row since I actually think – I can't remember. The Browns' initial championships are blurry to me because I was not here. Um, I was negative uh, 40 when it happened. But I want to say the last coach to win three straight AFs uh, – sorry, AF, uh, NFL titles in a row, I, I think it was Paul. I think it was the first three years in the NFL. So you want to talk about he also has a lot to gain next year. But I think Andy's number one when it comes to the the legacy conversation. I don't even think Pat Mahomes is number two. Because I think Kyle Shanahan, I, I already think there's people in football who think Kyle Shanahan's one of the three best quarterbacks, <laughs> three best head coaches in the NFL. But because he doesn't have a ring, it holds him back in that convo. I think Shanahan wins it. I think you're going to see him leapfrog. Tomlin and Harbaugh and pretty much anybody that isn't Andy Reid in the way people think about him. And it'll be right there with Sean McVay. So I think I think Kyle Shanahan has as much to gain has the second most to gain legacy wise here. And then with Mahomes, I think it becomes a lot of really interesting players. Like I think Kelsey, it's I don't know how people have forgotten a guy by the name of Rob Gronkowski existed. But, like, I've already heard people all this week say, well, he's the tight end goat. Ah, I mean, his run is now, I think his run is, his peak is a little bit, either a little bit longer or the same kind of run as Gronk. I don't know how you choose between Gronk and Kelsey. But a third championship in four years would help. You go to um, Chris Jones. I think Chris Jones is one of the most criminally underrated players in the NFL. Getting two titles over a guy by the name of Nick Bosa, I think we're talking legitimate, no bleep, legacy points for Chris Jones. And then there is, like, Nick Bosa's got pretty much every feather in the cap for the Hall of Fame, except a picture hoisting the Lombardi. 216-474-0092. Whose legacy benefits the most from a Super Bowl win on Sunday? Andy Reid or Pat Mahomes? Uh, Vince on Twitter, by the way, uh, local legend. Vince saying uh, Vince Lombardi won the first two Super Bowls and won the NFL championship the year before that. He is the last to win three titles in a row. Think about that. I All this is, I also really, 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 and I don't think I said really enough, I really like Andy Reid. A win for Andy Reid is a win for other hefty fellows 
who like cheeseburgers and Hawaiian t-shirts. There's a report out of WIP in Philadelphia about the Phillies' interest in Guardians closer Emmanuel Classe. And it is my it's we've now reached within within about 7 days. We've reached my absolute favorite two things I get to hear from baseball media. And the first report uh by by Howard Eskin of WIP was that the Phillies were really interested in Emmanuel Classe. They are going to be adding at least one more starter and a reliever, but that the Guardians asked for their number three prospect, Justin Crawford, who's a young outfielder, I think last year played at the high A level. And the Phillies just just don't seem really like they'd be willing to part for him. And I really love baseball reporting where it's like, team really interested in great player. Team unwilling to pay the price to get a really good player. Like, guys, I think we all go to the garage sale to haggle over whether you're going to pay $5 for that vinyl or whether you're going to pay 6 bucks for it. That's expected. But this, this line of thinking in baseball, and it is big market hubris. Not that I'm accusing Howard of that, but maybe the Phillies of that. The big market hubris is, well, why don't you just give us your player at the price we deem? Because that's not how this works, Jack. And the reality is, here's where, and this is not me riding the fence. The Guardians should trade Emmanuel Classe if they get the kind of holy crap offer they deserve for Emmanuel Classe. And if you're not willing, and Justin Crawford is, I think, the the, the 72nd, no, 77th ranked prospect in all of baseball. He's also their number three prospect. So if you're not willing to give any of the top three prospects and you're not going to give an immediate impact bat for your team for two years ago, the best closer in baseball, and last year still one of the most electric closers in baseball, well, that's cool. You can go ahead and go to the uh, garage uh, the garage uh, sale down the road and see if you can pick up knickknacks and all the little things there at the right price that you want to. I'll say this. Even if, it's to me, it's all predicated on what the offer you get. I love watching a manual class A pitch. And what is so unique is I think he is the most electric closer in baseball. Even like last year, blew a lot of saves. I think he's the most electric closer in baseball. And I know everybody makes the, because of the cut fastball, everybody makes the Mariano Rivera thing. I don't care about that. The dude throws a cut fastball that's 101 miles an hour. And so to watch him is a lot of fun. And to watch a great player in your town is fun. I don't think, even when, let's say the Guardians do the unthinkable, and let's say they contend this year. Let's say it's like uh, uh, two years ago all over again. Steven votes first year. They just hit the ground running. Let's say the lineup takes care of itself. I still don't think you need an elite closer. And what makes Emmanuel Classe so valuable is that he is under a team-friendly deal through 2028. So if the Phillies don't want to pay Justin Crawford, that's cool, man. You don't have to. You can get somebody that is half as good and twice as expensive. If uh, the Toronto Blue Jays don't want to give you uh, three of their top prospects, including somebody that will be an immediate impact player next year, that's really cool, man. You don't you don't have to trade for Manuel Classe. You can overpay for a much more um, functionally irrelevant player. But that so that's my first thing of like, well, Team X loves player Y. But just, I mean, the price for him. Um, the other thing is the report by John Morosi earlier this week where it was the uh, 
the fact that Guardians closer Emmanuel Classe is drawing trade interest from multiple teams, but a t- uh, but a deal uh, appears unlikely. And then you get the complaints that we continue to get from the from. And here's the thing: it's not just opposing front offices; it's now Guardians fans about the price the Guardians set for their own players. I've, it's the first time in my life I've seen Guardians fans say, well, you can lessen the price if it's a good deal. What? No. Like, listen, I want uh, Chernetti, I want Antonetti and Chernoff pissing off every other front office in baseball because they have a high standard for their players. Because if you whiff on a trade or if you sell low on a player, hey, guys, you don't have the Yankees funds to go back and make up or make good in free agency and the only way that you replenish that talent pool is if you continue to draft well, and that could take a year or two before the right person comes along. So, like, hypothetically, I'd really love the Guardians to save $13 million and find a great deal for, for Shane Bieber where you get a player that can help your, your lineup and Shane Bieber goes somewhere he'll sign a long-term extension. But I'm not going to give Shane Bieber away. So... I think the Guardians are actually sitting as pretty as you possibly can coming off an incredibly disappointing year. I think they have two talents that, given the lack and the dearth of really good pitching talents from the starting rotation, and given the lack of really good affordable closers, I think you're sitting pretty if if your options are we either keep a former Cy Young contender and uh, another potential future Cy Young contender in Emmanuel Classe and Shane Bieber, or if you trade them, it's because somebody overpaid for them. I think that's kind of right where they want to be. I like Justin Crawford a lot, by the way. That kid can hit the hell out of the ball. I, it would be nicer if he could hit it farther. Yeah, he had about three home runs last year. I'll, I, can I get a guy with a zero after the three? Because that would be really nice. But, yeah. Yep. Philly fans, piss off. Sorry, somebody needs to say that. You you want my guy? Make me an offer. Make me a Godfather offer, not a garage sale offer. Two one six four seven four double zero nine two. Are you guys okay? It, like if 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 it came out tomorrow, the Guardians would trade Emmanuel Classe. Do we still trust the Guardians front office the way that we did two years ago when we said, well, hey, don't want to trade Frankie Lindor, but I trust that front office. I think last year challenged that principle for a lot of people, not for me. One bad year does not unmake a decade of really smart, really intentional moves by this front office. Oh, spring training, by the way, right around the the corner here for the Gardos.